morning. Thanks, Paul. Turn to your neighbor and just say Yashav. That's a Hebrew word, Yashav. Turn to your neighbor and just say Yashav. Um, we are we are on we are on a, a series called Restoration, and it's Nehemiah through the book of Nehemiah. And for the past five weeks or six weeks, we've been on the same chapter. And probably most of you might be thinking, why aren't we going on to chapter two? And we, when when such things happen, you have to just stop and ask yourself, what is the Holy Spirit trying to get to me? What is he trying to communicate to me? It's not about the multitude of words that we get, but it's just about what God says. The one word that what the one word that we, uh, God says can really change your your whole life. And this whole time, God has just been talking about walking with them, being afraid, prayer. So it's just been on that uh, on that uh, on that road or path, path that God has just been uh, trying to communicate with us. With us in Psalm sixty-two, verse eleven, it says, "He spoke once; I heard him twice." God spoke once; I heard him twice. And from the same chapter, God has been speaking, but He has been speaking multiple things. And we have had to remain on chapter 1. And it's not about us going to chapter 2, chapter 3. This series can actually end on chapter 1. It can really end in chapter 1 because it's about the heart of God. What is God trying to say to us? What is God trying to communicate to us? It's not about finishing a whole book. It's not about having revelation. It's just about what at this moment is God trying to deliver to us. So we may... We may be in chapter 1 the whole time, <laughs> but we may just go into chapter 2. So today, we are in chapter 1. Nehemiah 1, verse 1 to 4. I've titled this, I actually better to come up with a title. I've titled it, Purpose Driven. Nehemiah 1, verse 1 to 4. The word of God says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the twelfth year, as I was in Susa the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and asked them, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem, and they said to me, The remnant they in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The war of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are, uh, are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down. The rest of the chapter goes on to talk about how Nehemiah wept and cried for the, for, the, for the nation of Jerusalem, for the nation of Israel. And he fasted and prayed and he confessed the sins of him, his sins and his, the sins of his father. And he asked God for favor from a man called Artaxerxes. But the story of Nehemiah is not the story about Nehemiah, it's the story about Israel. It's got nothing to do about it, nothing to do with Nehemiah, but rather how Israel from the beginning had walked with God. What took Israel to to the point where they had been exiled and they were captured? And it all begins on Mount Sinai, when God comes and uh, meets the people of Israel and he makes a covenant with the people of Israel. The intention of God was never to make the, that very covenant with Israel, but Israel said to Moses, 
go up and talk to God for us because, because we cannot bear His voice. And whatever He says, we will do. So this was a covenant based on works. And God said to them, if you are going to walk with me, there are going to be blessings and curses. And Moses in Deuteronomy 28 verse 41 says, warns the Israelites and says to them, you shall have sons and daughters, and these sons and daughters will be taken into captivity if you do not follow God. And time and again, God raised up prophets who would come up and just speak to the nation of Israel and warn them that if, the, if, they, if they continue going after other gods, God will give them up to other nations. And we see this in Jeremiah uh, verse uh, 25, uh, Jeremiah 25 verse 3. One of the prophets was Jeremiah 25, was Jeremiah. In Jeremiah verse, um, 25 verse 3, uh, if you can turn there, it says the following. For 23 years, from the 13th year, 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, uh, king of Judah, to this day, the word of the Lord has come to you, and I have spoken persistently to you, but you have not listened. You have neither listened or nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent to you all his servants, the prophets. For 23 years, God had been speaking to the nation of Israel. And this shows the character of God, that God is not a tyrant. He's not a God that, as soon as you mess up, He quickly whacks you. He walks with you. He disciples you. He's a friend. He's not quick to judge you. For 23 years, God has been speaking to Israel. And I do not believe, I must say this, I don't believe... Uh, if you, you honestly believe that God is, is a God that constantly is looking for faults in people, I don't believe in that, in that kind of uh, theology and doctrine. Because the Word of God really shows that He is a God who is patient and consistently will walk with people. So, and the Bible says that it was God, uh, it was God in Jesus Christ, not imputing. That word means not accounting sin in the world, but reconciling the world to himself. So God is not looking for sin in people. He's more interested in relationship and reconciliation between him and uh, between himself and you. So we should have such a doctrine of reconciliation, not a doctrine of looking for sins in people's lives. Okay. Then um, it continues and say and continues and says, turn now every one of you from this evil way and evil deeds, and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you, and your fathers from of old and forever. Do not go after other gods to serve and worship them, and provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. Then I will do you no harm. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. Therefore, that says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words. Behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants, and against all these surrounding nations. If you read on, it talks about the Jeremiah prophesying that the nation of Israel will go into captivity for 70 years. 
and the the timeline, the timeline that we just go up just now, it shows how from that time when uh, when when Jeremiah spoke, twelve years from that timeline, from from verse chapter from chapter twenty five, um, the timeline, it shows that uh, the first exiles, the first exiles were the time of Daniel. First exiles are the, the, there were two exiles that happened. If you if uh, when we began Nehemiah one, it says those who survived the exile. So the exile was there were two exiles, deportation, people being deported. So the first exile was the time of Daniel when they were exiled, and that eventually with Daniel's lifespan, it took seventy years. And from that time on, God began. Uh, after seventy years, God uh, started to rebuilt the temple. Uh, approximately 70 years, God began to rebuild the temple. But the exile continued. For another, uh, from the time of uh, the first exile, all the way to Nehemiah, it was approximately 150 years. 150 years. The war had been left at, uh, by itself. No one was a, was a caretaker of the war. No one was manning the gate. The war, just imagine, the war had weeds. There were jackals now. The war broke down. There was absolutely nothing for 150 years. Nothing had happened. We have potholes from 37 years. Just imagine 150 years what happened. So when this news comes to Nehemiah, he hears the news, it's really bad. 150 years, nothing has happened and things are falling apart. The Bible says he sat down. He sat down. And if you continue, it, it goes on and says he sat down, wept, or moaned. But it's, and we quickly think that he sat down because the news was too heavy for him. It was, yes, the news was too heavy. But I looked up that word, and that word for sitting down is yashav. The word means to sit down specifically. Two, number one, to judge, number two, to ambush, and number three, to be quiet. Nehemiah sat down to judge the situation, number one. He sat down and judged the predicament that Israel was in. He, he analyzed the current reality that Israel was in. The, the reality that had confronted him, he was now forced to confront the brutal facts of that reality. Which brings me to my first point, confronting the brutal facts. Actually, this, this point is from an author that I really love. His name is called Jim Collins. He's a business author. And he talks about confronting the brutal facts. In order for you to go from good to great or for you to be restored in life, you need to face the brutal facts. And facing the brutal facts, is never quite easy. Most of us are, are quite happy when we, when, we, uh, when we look at the surface of things. When we, when we don't have to look and go deep into why something is breaking down. But facing the brutal facts makes you uh, uh, come out of the facts and, and not continue dreaming about uh, what, what you would want to happen in life. Friends, facts are more important than dreams. Facts are the very thing where dreams, like they are the very environment where dreams have to eventually exist. If you don't face 
those brutal facts, your dreams will, will, will disappear and will, will not survive. There is no farmer that, that says, I want to go to the Sahara and become a farmer. He has to face the brutal fact that there things do not grow or there is not much rain. Those are the brutal facts that he has to face. And Nehemiah had to face the brutal fact. As he sat down, he realized that the brutal fact was not because of bad diplomacy. It was not because of bad luck. And it was not because of a mighty army that had come against Jerusalem. It was because of the sins of Israel. As he sat down in Nehemiah 1 verse 6, says the following. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel. Your servants confessing the sins of, of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. The problem was sin. The problem wasn't a mighty army. It wasn't because uh, uh, Babylon had become a great army, but it was just because of sin. And sin does have consequences. You see, life is, is, uh, is made up of what's called a law of cause and effect. If you put in something, you get out something. If you put in into, into your business bad management, you get, you get out bad management or you get out a bad product. And that is what we have to realize, that life is cause and effect. And if you, and I wonder how many of us sit down and really look at our lives. How many of us look down and sit down and look at our marriages? How many of us look, sit down and look at our companies, our businesses, and our families? How many of us sit down and look at the, our, our, our education? Because if you, look, if you really think about it, you are not stupid. You are not stupid. It's just that you prioritize your Instagram, Facebook, and WhatsApp. That's what you do. So you have to face the brutal facts face them, because those brutal facts will lead you to success. In, in Proverbs uh, 24 verse 30, Proverbs 24 verse 30 says the following, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold it was overgrown with thorns, the ground was covered with nipples, and the stone wall was broken down, just like Jerusalem. Then I saw and considered it, and I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and once like an armed man. The reason why Jerusalem's wall was all fallen down, and the gates had been burnt, there was a little sleeping, there was a little slumbering, and there was a little folding of hands. And in life, if you fold, <laughs> I just saw Paul doing something, sorry. <laughs> he, was, he was folding his hands. In <laughs> life, if you, if you, if you are fast asleep, then an armed robber will come. And I know there's been a, a, a armed robbers around here, and we're not talking about that, but we're talking about life, if you fold your hands and you, you sleep on duty, then want comes. 
then the enemy creeps into your marriage. The enemy creeps into your business. The enemy creeps into your family and your school. So we ought to always be on the guard. We ought to always be alert. The Bible says that uh, check if you're still in the faith. It doesn't say check if you're in, in, in a Christian or you're in Christ. It says check are you still in the faith. Are you walking in faith? Because the righteous shall live by faith. So it is good for you to constantly check your faith. Am I constantly walking in faith? Because the, your faith determines whether you are righteous or you live in righteousness. Your faith. It's not about your actions, but your faith. And it is, it is good for, for us to constantly just dissect our lives and put our lives under a microscope. Not to blame ourselves or blame the other individuals, but just so that at the end of the day we are hoping, we are holding uh, uh, hope that, 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 that is uh, well-founded, not false hope. We should not, if we do not face the brutal fact, then we will go into life holding up false hope. And when you face the brutal fact, you come out with the right decision. The right decisions become so self-evident as you face the brutal fact. And the, the, word, of, the word of God, um, sorry, it's uh, when we can face the brutal fact, we define the present and we can map out the future. So when I am facing the brutal fact, I am I'm defining my present situation right now, but I am also in a position to map out my future. Which brings me to my second point, to map out the future. Yashab means to sit down specifically to ambush. The reason that an ambush is a place where one hides in anticipation of attacking another person. And the reason why one would ambush, would sit in an ambush is because uh, you are either outnumbered, you are outmuscled, therefore you need to outwit and outmaneuver. No great army will ambush another small army. They will come and bulldoze that army. But if you are a small army, you will sit and you will use things like guerrilla warfare and things like that, so that you, are, you, so that you can outmaneuver your enemy. And the, in, when you adopt uh, the strategy of of planning and and uh, and ambushing, you are setting yourself more up for success, and you are holding out unwavering faith. Because when you when you face the when you face the brutal fact, it is not a nice thing. But when you do it and with strategy and planning, what you're doing is you're holding up unwavering faith. And adopting the strategy of ambushing or planning. It means that you are putting your you, you are putting yourself, as I say, in in, in success, uh, and you are dramatically increasing your, your the probability of of you succeeding in life and making the right decision, and and in making that right decision, you you will come out with a simple idea that can really revolutionize your your whole life. It can totally change your whole life. And as Nehemiah sat down, he thought about how to approach the king. In Nehemiah 1 verse 11, he says, O Lord, your ear is attentive to the prayer of your servant, and to the prayer of your servant to delight to fear your name, and give success to your servant today, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. 
So as Nehemiah sat down, he, he knew that the only way he could get, get a day off or days off was to approach the king. His strategy was, I need to approach the king. He had an audacious plan to approach the king. Simple plan, but very audacious. And we should also have audacious plans. Because when you and I plan, we an opportunity meets our plan, history is made. And when Nehemiah planned, history was made. When he met up with the king in chapter 2, and the king said, why are you downcast? And he said to him, uh, because of Israel and so forth. And from just that moment of planning, what came forth was, was the convoy and letters from the king that gave him passage to Jerusalem. And we ought to always plan. We ought, because, uh, planning puts your, your best foot in front. You're putting your best foot in front and you are setting yourself up to succeed. In Proverbs 29 verse 11 it says, the, many are the plans of, of man, but, but uh, the purpose of the Lord is what will prevail. And we need to plan and also seek the purpose of God. Which brings me to my last point, the third point. Pursue purpose. Yashab means to sit quietly. To sit quietly. Psalms 46 verse 10 says the following. As says the following. Be still and know that I am God. When we sit in stillness, we are looking to God. When we sit in stillness, our ears are open up to what God is saying to us. And Nehemiah sat and considered God. We see that in his prayer in Nehemiah 1 verse 6. Says the following in Nehemiah 1 verse 5, says the following. And I say, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant of love with those who love him and keeps commandments. The prayer of Nehemiah shows something unique. It shows a friendship that he had with God. It should because he Describes God in his attributes. He doesn't describe God. He describes God, his character, who God is. He doesn't describe God or uh, what he can do, but he describes his character. He's an awesome God. He is a great God. Showing that this man had been walking with God for some time and for some years. I know basically no, normally when he describes me, he describes me according to my good looks and my, my, my muscles. And that, that, that. But friends go beyond that. <laughs> we go beyond that. We, we need, the, the reason why you have a friend is not because of what they can do for you. That is self-expression. But it's, what you, it's a common denominator that brings you together. It's a common interest. Whether it's cricket, whether it's rugby, whether it's uh, some uh, business or, or soccer or so, some soccer team, it is a common interest that brings us together. And Nehemiah's prayer is really unique as the timeline goes back up. It's unique in that the, the, as, an, as a, a Jewish man, you had to go to the temple to pray. And Nehemiah was approximately 3,002 uh, 3, kilometers away from the temple. 
it was an inspired year to Joburg, it was an inspired year to Wilder's Bay, it was 3,002 kilometers away. So he had to go back to Jerusalem to seek God. But right there in Susa, Nehemiah prays and he seeks God and he finds God right there where he is. He was not defined by legalism and distance or time. He was defined by a relationship with God, a friendship that he had with God. Because no friend will say, why are you calling me in the middle of the night? What's your problem? Can't you, can, can you see that I'm asleep? But Nehemiah called to on God wherever he was. And the relationship with God is not is, is based on where you is not based on where you are and who you are. It's just where you are and who you are. That's who you are. It doesn't matter to have a friendship with God, it's not come first and change, then I'll be your friend. It's wherever you are and who you are. It doesn't matter. That's how, that's the relationship God wants with you. So God had a common interest in Nehemiah, and that common interest was the war and the people of Jerusalem. Why did God have an interest with the, with the war? God had an interest with the war because 450 years later, a man riding a colt would come and go through that war. And they would hail him as king of kings and lord of lords. They would put palms down and, and celebrate him. But a couple of days later, that very man would walk out of that war, carrying a cross, having been beaten up. And the Bible in Hebrews 13 says the following. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13 verse 11. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as sacrifice for sin are burnt outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. The friends that we have in this world are friends just based on the surface. It's not eternal. It's that go to eternity. But I want to introduce you to a friend that you can have for eternity. But it needs you to go out of those walls. It needs you to get out of that gate and go to him who will suffer.